and as we're riding through the woods, Charlie's telling me about uh, all these people that, that, that lived in this area. And, uh, and I really thought he was crazy because I thought he was talking about, you know, some people that actually live in the woods because there were no houses. And, um, and so I said, Charlie, you doing okay? Because he was, a, I think he was a youth pastor at the time or he was in ministry at some church in another part of the state. He said, no, no, you need to see it, man. You need to see it. I said, no, I don't see anything but trees, man. He said, no, nah. he said, there's going to be people here. I said, really? Where? He said, they call it Cane Bay. I said, there ain't, they ain't call it nothing, man. It's nothing but trees. He said, nah, see right here, there's going to be this large subdevelopment, uh, subdivision. There's going to be these businesses that are coming in this area. They're going to build a school right over here. And he's, he's walking through all this stuff in this area and he's driving. And, and uh, he said, I, I, I want to I plant a church here. I said, Bo, you need to go where there's people, man. He's like, no, nah, they're coming. The people are coming. And I said, all right, well, let's just get straight. Why do you want to plant a church here? And I can, I can remember his statement. He said, because there's going to be a lot of lost people there. And I looked at him and I said, you know, that's a, that's a really good reason to start a church. And, uh, and I knew he teamed up well because I had watched his uh, wife all the way through high school. And uh, she taught me how to pray and she taught me how to share my faith. And now I'm the evangelism director for the state. Um, but, but I got to watch her through high school, work with a team of other um, students that were her age, really take a school and, uh, and just make the gospel known. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable to watch that crowd from ninth grade to 12th grade. So uh, if you're in high school today, I know I met uh, three dudes in the back, they're athletes. If you're in high school today, uh, the Lord wants to use you on that mission field in a tremendous way to take the message of the gospel there. I got to see it firsthand with Adrian, so I knew they were teamed up well. And, uh, and then to be able to drive up here today and be able to actually see you guys, I'm glad he was right, right? Uh, and, and to be able to see what, what the Lord's done through the influence of, of this particular church uh, really just blows me away. So to be a, a, a part of it today, to be able to come and to share with you, uh, I'm just really excited. And, uh, and so I want to try to get out of the way a little bit uh, so the Lord can speak. And uh, so let's go to him and just beg him to do so. Father, I don't understand why you pursue us. I don't understand why you would um, tear down walls, that you would break down lies. I, I don't understand what, like, wh who are we that you would even take the time um, to make yourself known to us? I mean, we turn our back on, on you constantly. We, we'll go through an entire week without even having a conversation with you, a real conversation. We, we, um, we rub your name in the mud sometimes, and, uh, and sometimes through our actions, we just, we just really mess up. So why you would do that is just beyond me. Why you would give us the great privilege and opportunity to partner with you, to share hope with other people, that blows my mind. That we would be given this, this opportunity from the creator of the universe when you could grab rocks or trees and make yourself known, uh, you choose us. And um, for that reason, we come before you today just with open hearts. I pray for those who are here that they might listen to your word. They might see your model in scripture. And Father, that we might actually get serious about this gospel we say we believe. That we might get serious in believing that this is really good news. And, uh, and that because it's good news, we make it known. So, Father, I just pray that uh, you might soften our hearts here for the little bit of time that we have. 
And pray, Father, that today might be a defining moment, a, a disruption in our life, a, a crossroads. It might take us on a journey that might not only change our own lives, but might completely, for eternity, change the lives of others. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I married my, my middle school sweetheart. We've been married 20 years last week. And uh, we're pretty excited about that. Uh, some of the best 14 years of her life along the way. And, um, and along the way, we had three or four boys. So we've got kids in kindergarten, middle school, and high school. Uh, and so just pray for my wife. Her name's Lisa, and, uh, and she's in a house full of boys, and it's, it's, it's bad guy. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted to, to share a story with you. Uh, she, she usually is a pretty good judge of character, my wife, um, but, but you'll see that sometimes it lapses because of this one incident that was completely her fault. She still, to this day, does not fess up that it was her fault. Um, But it was completely her fault because uh, I was grilling and she asked me to do something else. Now, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you don't ask us to do two things. We do one thing well at a time. And uh, and we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't move from thing to thing, especially at the same time. And so she asked me a very simple question. She said, uh, would you watch the child? Now, uh, I I don't, she doesn't tell me their names because I, totally call them by the wrong names. If you've got multiple kids, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, my, the one she's talking about, he actually asked me about a month ago, Daddy, why don't you call us by our real names? And I said, because I don't, I don't know your name, son. Who are you? <laughs> anyway, so, so he, she comes out and she says, well, you watch the child. I said, which one? She said, quarter. I said, yeah. So he comes out, he's, he's running around in the yard, and I'm grilling, and it was, a nice, it was a nice piece of steak. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, guys. You can't, if that sucker gets well done, it's over. Like, the whole night's ruined. And so I'm trying to focus on this, and I grab my other son, the oldest one, and said, watch the boy. And, um, but then uh, uh, my, my uh, birdhouse caught my eye, and it needed to be fixed. So I thought, okay, I flipped the steak. I knew I had about, about a minute to fix the birdhouse. So I grabbed that same oldest son and said, hey, go grab me some duct tape because that's what we fix stuff with. And I said, we're going to fix this birdhouse. And so he went and got the duct tape, came back. We're fixing the birdhouse about the same time that my wife comes back out on the porch. Now, about four minutes had passed total in this time. And, uh, and she says to me, uh, where's Quarter? I said, who? She said, the, the child you're supposed to be watching, where's he at? Now, at the time, he was around three years old. Here's a picture of him now. Um, do we have, yeah. So, so you can see, he's just like, he's, he, he's still learning life, right? I mean, this is a picture of him at T-Ball. And so I said, I don't know where he is. What are you talking about? She said, you're supposed to be watching him. I said, I'm supposed to be watching who? She said, quarter. I said, I'm not supposed to be watching quarter. Who said I was supposed to be watching quarter? I'm grilling. She said, I asked you if you could watch him, and you said yes. I said, you don't, you're not supposed to believe me when I'm grilling. I'm not listening to stuff like that. I said, in fact, I told Caden to watch him. He said, Daddy, you asked me to fix the, the, bird, the birdhouse. I said, shut up, Caden. Talk when you're being talked to. Anyway, so then it started this frantic search for the kid. Now, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Like, if you ever lose your child, you're in a frantic search, right? Well, I wasn't frantic at first because I was like, he couldn't have gone very far. It's only been like four minutes. So 
we're walking around nonchalantly around the house because he did like to play uh, hide and seek without telling anybody. So I'm going, all right, quarter, game's over. Come on out. You know, we need you. And so I'm, you know, you know, walking around, you know. And, and, and then around like two minutes in, now it gets pretty frantic because now I'm like, oh, goodness. We're... So now I start using daddy voice, right? Quarter, come out of the woods, wherever you are. Your mama's going to spank you. Anyway, so that's when the neighbors come out because like you never see the neighbors until like there's something going on and then they wanted to come and be nosy so they were like oh what's going on over there and they start milling around I'm like I ain't seen you in three months man where you been at and so they come out and I'm thinking they're going to call DSS or something so I'm you know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you know scared about it and then they come out and they start roaming around so now the whole neighborhood's kind of searching for the guy and really only about six minutes went by and now I get frantic now now who cares about the steak who cares about uh, the other kid? I mean, I'm like I'm I'm really frantically looking for my son, and so I kind of run down the road a little bit because I want to cut him off before he gets up to the main road. At least they'd be going slow if they hit him here. And so I get up there, and somebody hollers, "We found the child!" And man, it was just like you know what I'm talking about, like that rush whenever you find something that you've lost, even if it's something like a material possession, and then there's this. This, this sense of relief, and so I, I kind of I kind of walked up there with relief now and, and walked. So where's he at? And they said he's in. He was in the refrigerator, and um, but the door the door wasn't all the way shut. So you know it's not that big of a deal. He he found something in there he wanted to eat that he knew he couldn't eat. We wouldn't let him eat, and so he was in there and he kind of just cracked the door a little bit and he climbed up in. Anyway, so. When I get there, there's this, this sense of relief because something that was very valuable was found. And, and you, you need to understand that you are always compelled to seek after what matters most to you. Nobody have to, has to really tell you to do that. It, it's something that's, that's inside of you that whatever matters most to you you are going to be compelled to seek after them, to go after them. Because compelled people, will they'll go where no one else will go. Compelled people, they'll, they'll care for those who no one else will care. Com- compelled people, they, they, will, they will go and share what no one else is willing to share. And so as we look into this scripture today, I just pray that, that, that Jesus would rub off on you a little bit today. That... As you read this, this story of an encounter that he had with an individual, that, that you would think not only about, about who shared Christ with you, but you will think about, like, whose story, whose spiritual story will I enter when it's retold to the world? So John chapter 4, if you've got your scripture, I'd love for you to turn there with me. It's, it's a passage of scripture that, that may be familiar to you, maybe the first time you've heard this story, but... It's a story of, of, of Jesus and a woman at the well. And, uh, and, and as he comes into proximity of, of her, um, which is what our neighbors do, they're in proximity to us, uh, he engages her and he teaches us a very valuable lesson. First of all, he's willing to go where no one else is willing to go. Chapter 4, verse 3. Now he had to go through Samaria. Well, no, he didn't. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, uh, if you were a Jew, you would have avoided this area. It actually would have taken you a little bit longer to go around, but that's what you would have done. And here's why. The Samaritans were guarded by the Jews as despised half-breeds. 
They were the offspring of Jews who had been exiled about 700 years earlier. So if you imagine this pure race, Jewish race, they start thinking that they, that nobody's ever going to touch them, this never, nothing is ever going to be bad happening to them because they're God's chosen people. And then God says, okay, if you're not going to follow me, you're going to come out from underneath my authority, you're going to come out from underneath my security, and here's what happens. And so the bad guys come in and they swoop in and they flush them out and then they're exiled. They, they actually have to go away from their homeland in Jerusalem. Well, some of them go into this area of Samaria and then they begin to intermarry with other religions and races. So as they go and they do this, um, they, they get a little bit despised. So whenever they start coming back to Jerusalem, they won't let the Samaritans back in to worship. Because, see, they're, they're different. They've started taking on some of the traits of, of the people that they married. And it was, it was stronger than just race, but it was also other religions. And so this area was despised. And Jesus said he had to go to this area. So a couple of questions for you. Where would you not be caught dead going to in this town? In the greater area of Charleston, what areas do you try to avoid? Because see, the, the disciples that day, they would have said to Jesus, nah, man, we got to go this route. We got to go around Samaria. Jesus said, no, I, we, I have to go through Samaria. Where, where in your school would you not be caught dead eating at a lunch table? Because either those people are different than you or it would cause you to lose some cool points along the way. You have to be willing to go where no one else is willing to go. I mean, in a neighboring, you have to be willing to cross the street and actually find out the name of someone who's lived next to you for two, three years that you see all the time, but you've never really taken the time to even know what their names or their kids are. You have to be willing to, to go where no one else is willing to go. Why? Because if you're not willing to go across the street, you're not going to be willing to go across the world to where Jesus has never been even heard of before. And let me show you how bad it is, by the way, in our churches. Okay, I'm not talking about your church, by the way. You guys have it all together. I'm talking about all these other churches I go and speak at. Because <clears throat> with South Carolina Baptists, there's 2,100 of them. Some of them are um, two, over 200 years old. And so at all these other churches, let me just show you what's happening right now. And these, are, these are just stats now that we see. This is what, when we poll different churches and different people, this is what we see, all right? Let me get, um, let me get some help. The back row, I want all of y'all to stand up over on this section. You thought that you got on the back row. You came in early to do that. I'm going to call on you, but now I am. All right, that, that row. We're going to get the third row right here. If you guys will stand up, the third row. There you go. Y'all were taking notes diligently, and I appreciate that. Somebody uh, punch the guy next to you. He's asleep there. Push him in the second row here. Third row here. Third row here. Y'all stand up. Third row right here. Third row. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. All right. All right. We're almost there. We're almost there. <clears throat> Okay, this represents the church in South Carolina, okay? The people sitting down represents the number of people that are not actively engaged in any Christian church, regardless of denomination. There's a lot of them. In fact, it's about three out of every four. In fact, in Charleston, it, it even gets greater. In Charleston, it's, it's higher than three out of every four. It's closer to about eight out of every ten. 
especially when you've got a lot of people moving in. So, so this is the number of people that are sitting down. This represents the church. Now, let me show you where we are right now with our church. Our church is mandated. Jesus said, I want you to go in and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When he said that, that's called the Great Commission, everybody else is lost. And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples and those followers at the time, I want you to go make disciples of lost people. Don't start with the saved people. I want you to go make disciples of lost people. They said, well, how are we going to do that? He said, well, create a worship service and tell everybody to come to it. No, that didn't work. All right, that's not what he said. He said, I want you to go. I'm sending you out. Go. And then they were going person to person, person to person, and they were talking and sharing the gospel. All right, so that means that everybody standing up has the mandate to make disciples because you're part of the church, right? So let me show you how good we're doing. Uh, you guys can sit down. You guys can sit down. You guys can sit down. And you too can sit down. You get all right. Now, that's not the percentage of the church that was standing up. This is about the percentage of all of you, if you were the church, that are actually making disciples of lost people, actually sharing the gospel with people. Now that's crazy, isn't it? Right? It's about ten percent. About 10% of the church this past year built a relationship with somebody far from God and talked to them about the gospel, told them about Jesus and gave them an opportunity to respond. It's only about that many. Now, watch, I'm going to pick on, what did you say your name was? Huh? Alex. Soccer star phenom right there. Everybody sit down except for Alex. All right? Alex is going to be playing in the World Cup one day, and one day, America... We're going to take it. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> now, Alex represents, if all of you were the church in South Carolina, Alex represents the number of people that will ever in their lifetime cross a cultural, linguistic, or geographic area to take the message of the gospel to somebody. In fact, you, Alex, I can't even count all of you because it's not all of you. If you'll sit down and just hold your hand up, I'll count that part of your body. Because it's really 0.1% will ever cross a cultural, linguistic, or geographic area to take the message of the gospel. We've got to be willing to go where no one else is willing to go. The second thing here is we've got to be willing to care for others who no one else will care. You see, Jesus, when he gets to this place here, in verse 5, he says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It was about in the middle of the day. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Let me just stop there. This is huge. You've got to understand it, because if you don't understand this cultural context, you're not going to get what Jesus is doing. First of all, this is a big deal for Jesus to speak to her, and there's a few reasons why. The first is, is she was a woman. God-fearing Jews did not even speak to their wives in public. And this woman was considered second-class citizen just because of her gender. All throughout Scripture, we see Jesus crashing the taboo by treating women with dignity and respect in public constantly. Men, we need some men that will start treating some women with, with respect. You guys who are in high school, 
Start treating the women around you with respect. Be a man. Like, don't be a boy anymore. And, and don't be taking pictures and tweeting it out and all this other stuff that you do on Instagram. Uh, or you don't even do Instagram anymore. Snapchat. Treat them with respect. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus shatters this at a time where it was taboo for him to even speak to a woman in public. Second, she was a Samaritan. She was mixed. She was a mixed race, not just nationality, but also religion. Third, she had a bad reputation. Now, later you'll hear the rest of the story, but we see here that she didn't walk with the other women to the well in the early part of the day when it wasn't so hot. She comes by herself when no one else would be there. Why? Why weren't the other women talking to her? Why, why were the other women kind of ostracizing her? We'll find that out in just a second. I know that that none of the women here in Cane Bay, not just in this church, but outside this church, ever get in groups and ostracize other women. But in other parts of the state, that happens. Why is that? What, what was it that she did that was so big of a deal that she began to feel like an outcast? Well, she acknowledges how big a deal this is when she says, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This verse 9 is huge. It could also be interpreted, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. We don't even use the same dishes. We don't drink out of the same cup. You see, because Jesus didn't carry around his water bottle when he was going up to the well. He was asking her for a drink from her stuff. That meant that his mouth was going to be where her mouth had been. And you talk about germs. Listen, there's some things that my kids, they were boys in elementary school. Now listen, they come to the dinner table, who knows if they've washed. And my wife's constantly saying, wash, wash, wash your hands. And when they come in, my, my wife looks at them and, 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 and like does an inspection. But there was one thing we did not have to worry about them doing when they were in elementary school. They did not drink after a girl. Because that was like kissing them. You don't do that. Who does that? And we think about that. It's kind of funny. It's like, why would anybody think that, like, you know, drinking after someone would give you some kind of uh, horrific disease just because, not because, I mean, they're sick. Yeah, we get it. But just because of, you know, their gender or just because of the color of their skin. Who, who would have ever thought that that was a big deal? Like, that just seems ridiculous, right? Until you see pictures like this. That should be shocking to you. Because your grandparents would have thought that this was normal and okay. You know what's shocking to me about this picture? Is that the church every Sunday when they got done with worship, walked by water coolers like this, and not only thought it was okay, they agreed with it in the white culture. Listen, what are we going to do about it? When we talk about caring about everybody, every life, every man, woman, and child, what are we going to do about it as a church? Why is the most segregated time in South Carolina at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? Listen, we as a church, we've got to do something about that. We can't just sit back and just say, oh, we welcome all people into our lives. When it's not true. 
You want Sunday morning to change at 11 a.m.? Then Friday night and Saturday night at 6 p.m. at your dinner table has to change. When was the last time someone from another country sat at your dinner table? When was the last time that someone of another race sat at your dinner table? When was the last time that you, within your hobbies, went and asked people that are totally different than you, came from a totally different walk of life, and even voted in a different political party than you, actually came and hung out with you, and you invited them into your life? Listen, if we're going to end racism in our nation, it's going to have to start in the church. Why is the church playing catch up to this? When Martin Luther King goes into Birmingham, he gets thrown in jail. The white pastors from that town wrote him a letter that basically said to him, Will you please calm down and leave our city? Will you please be patient? We're trying to make some crossroads and inroads. Will you please be patient? He writes a letter back to them called Letters from a Birmingham Jail. And he said in that letter, he said, It is not the KKK. It is not the lynch mobs that I'm so worried about. It is the white pastors and people in churches that continue to hold a blind eye to the injustice and justice around them. We've got to rise up. We've got to care for every life. And hate will only be defeated by love. And it's not just races. It's also socioeconomic. It's also those who live around you. They come from different walks of life. I remember this, this whole aspect of care before you share really gripped me when my neighbor told me. He said, hey, you know what? I got a buddy who's been inviting me to his big old honking church, which I thought was a great way for somebody who doesn't go to church to describe somebody's church. He said they got a big old honking band with a big old honking preacher, which I thought was pretty funny too, Charlie. And he said, he said they got bumper stickers and T-shirts and all this stuff, and he's constantly inviting me to come to his church. He's hounding me about it. I said, well, why don't you go? Just go and he'll get off your back. Like if you go one time, he'll get off your back. Now I'm the preacher telling him this, right? I'm telling him how it works. <laughs> he said, I'll tell you why I don't go to his church. I said, why? He said, because I think he cares more about me going to his church than he does about me. You see, neighboring, when you get into proximity with people and you actually get into their lives and you actually start listening to them and showing them care, that is what is attractive. Not a big old honking band with a big old honking preacher with a really cool place with coffee. What's attractive to people is a people that actually cares about other people. So as Jesus actually begins to speak to her, he begins to show her care. I had a, a friend of mine who I had been investing in relationally. One time I started to see a, a different rhythm in his life, and I knew something was up. I just called him and said, hey, man, what's up? He said, who's been talking to you? I said, nobody's been talking to me, man. I'm just calling and ask, what's up? He said, my wife left me. That's what's up. And I just said, hey, man, you want to talk about it? And he said, yes, I'd love to talk about it this morning at breakfast. Can we get together? I couldn't have that phone call with him if I hadn't had the two months before of hanging out with him, which actually started with just some random acts of kindness. Care who no one else will care about. And then Jesus begins to have this conversation. It's pretty remarkable as you start to listen to this conversation. He's willing to share what others will not share. 
Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she says, well, you've got nothing to draw with and the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? He just begins to talk to her about a conversation, just having a relational conversation with her, okay? So I call this like building blocks of gospel conversations. And the first, the first level is relational conversation you have with people. I don't really have to teach you how to do that, but you have to be intentional about that. Especially people that aren't in your circle. You've got to invite people into your bubble. Creating white space that, uh, that Joel and Charlie talked about the last couple of weeks is important for this. And as you create the white space, you're just intentional to invite them into your circle. Relational conversation. As Jesus asks her for a drink, he begins to have this conversation with her. And then it shifts pretty quickly. As she begins to talk here, Jesus begins to shift it from just talking about something to drink to something spiritual. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He shifts the conversation from, from just normal relational conversation to spiritual conversation. I remember I was sitting at a McAllister's and I was with another buddy and a guy came up, he was a waiter, and we were giving him a hard time because they were running out some food that we wanted. And, and, uh, and, and as we were giving him a hard time, uh, he was laughing and stuff. And then I finally looked at him and said, hey, man, we're fixing to pray for our meals. Is there anything we can pray for you about? Just shifted the conversation. And he said, are you serious? Because I'd been joking around before. I said, yeah, I'm serious. Seriously, is there anything we can pray for you about? And he said, yeah. He said, my marriage, I think, is falling apart, and I'm not sure if it's going to make it. I was like, whoa, whoa, man. You don't even know us. You can't be talking about that kind of stuff. And he sat down for 30 minutes during our lunch. He was the manager of McAllister's. And he just sat down. And for 30 minutes just spilled his life out on the table. It, it happened with a shift in conversation to turn it from just normal stuff to spiritual stuff. And then the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she actually is curious about this whole thing that he's talking about. So as it moves from relational conversation, and if you shift to a spiritual conversation, you begin to talk about aspects of God. And some of you do this all the time. You do it like this. Hey, we got a great church. You want to come to it? That's a spiritual conversation. That's not a gospel conversation, but that's a spiritual conversation. Hey, we've got an unbelievable community. It's like a supper club. We'd love for you to come to it. You want to come to it? Spiritual conversation. It's not a gospel conversation, but it's a spiritual conversation. Because you're shifting to, hey, how can I pray for you? Spiritual conversation. And as you shift from relational to spiritual conversation, you're, you're one step away from gospel conversation. But remember, if we don't share the gospel with people, then we've just had conversations about aspects of God. We haven't really talked about the hope that comes from Jesus. And so as he shifts this, he goes straight to her idol. He says, why don't you go and get your husband and you come back? And she says, I have no husband. And he says, yeah, you're right. You say you have no husband. The fact is that you've got five husbands and the man you have right now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. I'm like, Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't be getting up in the lady's business so quickly. Like, just calm down. You know what, what is crazy about that statement? What's crazy about that statement is that it reveals to us who this lady was, why the women weren't going with her to the well, and also it, it just blows my mind that Jesus was talking to her in the first place. What if you had that posture? What if you began to like, actually look at people the way Jesus looked at them and quit judging them? Because we all stand judged already. 
but looked at people in such a way that they may become not just a child of God, but may become one of your church planters one day. May become one of your small group leaders. They might even be your small group leader one day. What if you started looking at people that, oh, that might be a missionary to an unreached people group in this world? And begin to look at people like, oh, Jesus, man, they got great potential. And when Jesus does this and he shares with them, he goes through this long list from verse 21 down to verse 24 where he starts to give her hope that there's one day you guys in Samaria will be able to worship with us and not in a building, but you'll be able to worship us in spirit and in truth. That means that one day the Holy Spirit's going to be coming inside of you and you're going to be able to worship the Lord wherever you are. You don't have to be confined. Jesus, God is not going to be confined to a place. He's going to be confined to people inside of you, working through you, worshiping. You're able to worship through that. And he's given her hope through that. And then she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I, the one you're speaking to, am he. Listen to this. You cannot have a gospel conversation without the gospel. The gospel is this. It's very clear. Listen, the gospel is the good news of the saving death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of the saving death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One sentence, guys. The gospel is the good news of the saving death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to have a gospel conversation, it has to include what Jesus did. Why did he save us from death how is it saving to us because we're sinners the saving death burial and then resurrection it separates him from all other religious prophets of Jesus Christ it separates him he is the Messiah so a gospel conversation then is a dialogue where the gospel is shared and a response is invited now a response here is invited, a gospel conversation, a dialogue where the gospel is shared and a response is invited. It's invited here, and, and she takes off, and she goes and tells everybody that's in Samaria in her little town, and they all come, and they want to hear about Jesus. And so it kind of like starts a chain reaction, because as you lead people to the Lord, they end up, they end up coming to know Christ, and then it's a chain reaction with all of their uh, circles of influence, circles of accountability. And as God begins to do that, it just continues to, to move forward. And, and I think of, like, in Charleston right here, I think about this guy named Stephen that I know that um, he was, man, he was tricking out bikes, and he was up in a drug scene. It was pretty intense. And his girlfriend wanted to make some friends, so she went to a missional community in one of our sister churches. And as she does that, she goes to this small group for, like, two months, and then she says, I want you to go to the church where this small group's been coming out of. He didn't want to go, but he goes to this church. He said the, the air conditioning wasn't working and the music wasn't any good. It's kind of funny. He said, in fact, the sermon wasn't that great either. But at the end of the message, some people came up to me, and they actually cared about me enough to ask me to breakfast the next day. This one guy asked me to breakfast the next day. So I said, all right, I'll go with you. I went to breakfast one time with him. He, like, laid out the gospel to me. And then I was like, man, ain't, ain't for me. And he said, well, is breakfast for you? He said, yeah. He said, well, will you have breakfast with me tomorrow? He's like, yeah, I called his bluff. So I was like, all right, you paying for breakfast? I'll have breakfast with you tomorrow. 14 days straight, they had breakfast together. On the 15th day, he came to know Christ and gave his life up to Jesus. Since that time, he's led 
his workmates to the, to the Lord. He's baptized those people. He quit his job, went and said, I know you don't have a job at this church, but I'm your next staff member. So I'm just going to start working for you for free. Now he's a church planter out of that church. All of that because some people began to actually share the gospel, care for them, and actually like talk to them about Christ. And listen, you can do this. This is easy. Like you can do this. This is not hard. This is not hard to have gospel conversations. I, I need some help just to show you real quick. Because people lie to you and Satan lies to you, so I need some help. It, I don't think Yasir, is Yasir in here? Yasir, is he in here anymore? Did he bail to go somewhere else? All right, I need somebody else that's as strong as Yasir. That's like sixth grade or under. Sixth grade or under, just anybody. Raise your hand. Come on up here. Come on, come on, come on. Quick, 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 quick. I saw your hand first. Run, run, run. What's your name? What's your name? Luke. Luke. All right. Now, I'm going to give you some warnings on this, okay? It's very clear. What does it say on the piece of paper? Do not hit. All right? You know why? Because you will break your hand. So I'm giving you that warning up front before you try to break this paper, because that's your, I'm going to tell you, you can punch through this paper and break this paper. I'm giving you the warning right now, though, right now that you're going to break your hand when it happens. In fact, I'll, where's your parents at? Where are your parents at? Are they here? All right, he's, he's with somebody? All right, listen, we will not be held responsible. <laughs> if he breaks his hand, breaking through this piece of paper, when I've clearly told him it's going to happen, okay? You okay? You good? You nervous? You should be nervous. All right, you ready? All right, punch through the paper. No, what are you doing? I just told you. When you hit this paper, you didn't even look behind the paper to see what you might hit. These are abs of steel. Feel that right there. Ow, what are you doing punch me, poking me? Or listen, if you punch through this paper too far and hit these abs of steel, you will break your hand, I promise you. It's happened before. No, now listen. Do you not believe me? I'm a preacher. Do you not believe me? Have you been listening to anything I've been talking about? Do you even know what's going on right now? You do? Okay, you're all smiles. All right. You're going to break your hand. It's going to hurt. I promise you it's going to hurt. There's been a lot of people that have done this in the past, and it's hurt them, okay? But if you're man enough, if you're crazy enough, bust through the paper. You're not, you didn't break your hand? How's it feeling? You okay? No, you haven't lost any feeling or motion? Well, let me dog. I guess it doesn't work then. Okay. Thank you very much. You can have a seat. Yeah. I actually did that with an adult, and they actually contemplated not hitting the paper. They actually did it like for like about three minutes. They looked at the crowd. They looked behind the paper three times. They were scared about hitting the paper. Finally, I had to convince them, you can do this. You can do this. They finally hit through the paper, and I was like, don't you feel stupid? Anyway, so <laughs> what's the point? The point is this in closing, is that when you cross, go back to that graphic. When you cross from spiritual conversation to the gospel conversation, you cross a pain line. And it's a pain line because the enemy has told you that you're going to get hit. He's told you that you're going to get hurt. And if you get up to that pain line of actually sharing the gospel, he keeps you from sharing it because you think that like relationships going to be weird, everything's going to be weird. Listen, I'm here to tell you the truth. You cross that pain line, you're either going to get hit or you're going to get hurt. Sometimes you might get hit. But most of the time, 
most of the time, you are going to find hurting people on the other side. And when you share hope with them, it may ignite an entire thing in your neighborhood and in your, your church and in your state that you never imagined might happen. Let me pray for you. Father, as we come into a time of uh, worship, my, my, my desire is that those who would confess you as Christ and Lord would also confess your mission of making disciples of lost people. I believe that those who are here today have maybe believed the lie from the enemy and have never really crossed over that line because of fear, which is one of the major barriers. I believe that some people in this room, they don't even have any relationships with lost people in such a way that they can even have a conversation and they've got to have these relational and spiritual conversations leading up to it. But Father, right here today, I know that the number one reason that people don't share their faith is because they have no faith to share. And so, Father, as we go into a time of worship, if there's anyone here that would say, you know what, maybe the reason I'm not telling anybody about Jesus is because Jesus does not really matter to me that much. That today, they, they might seek out someone who knows Jesus, and they might say, how can I make Jesus matter to me so much that I want to tell people about him? Father, as they continue down this road of neighboring, I pray, Father, that you might ignite them, unleash them, to start a movement here in Cane Bay. In Christ's name we pray.